Welcome to the Church Plus Podcast. Church Plus is a conversation around growing trends, best practices, and how stuff works in your local church. My name is John Bennett, and I'm going to be your host today. I'm very excited about my interview, and I'll be introducing my guest in just a moment. But no doubt you realize that the impact that the COVID season has had on you, your church, and the people that you love and serve, both economically, emotionally, relationally, and otherwise. But there's a silver lining in all of this. The pandemic has not only afforded church leaders to do some things, try some things, expand some things that all of us back in March or maybe April of 2020 would not have believed to be possible. So today we're going to be discussing why the economic data suggests that right now is the best time to expand your vision for the future. And while I'm not trying to steal any thunder from my guest, just think about this one data point. In March 2020, there was $19 trillion in checkable accounts. Checkable accounts are liquid accounts like checking accounts and money markets and savings accounts. Now, in July of 2021, there is $39 trillion. That's amazing. From 19 to 39 over double the cash on hand for people to invest, to spend, and to give. You keep listening and we'll lay out exactly why that's the case. Also, based on economic data, my guest believes that people have not only greater capacity than ever to give and to save and to invest, but why this is the best time as a local church leader to start dreaming and planning about expanding your vision for your church, and even why now is the best time to launch a campaign to fund what's next for your local church. So today, my guest is Dave Travis, my good friend, Dave. Dave has advised large church pastors for over 30 years. 23 of those years he spent with Leadership Network, where he led the large or mega church area of Leadership Network. And then he retired as CEO in 2018. Since then, he has been consulting with dozens of churches and church leaders, helping guide them through sticky challenges through his role as Director of Strategic Council to Pastors and Church Boards at Generis. But beyond that, he credits his long association with Lyle Schaller, Peter Drucker, and Bob Buford for shaping his consulting approaches. Let's check out my interview with my friend, Dave Travis. Hey, Dave, welcome to the Church Plus podcast, my friend. Good to be with you, John. Yeah, looking forward to this conversation. Uh, You had shared some of this information with our team earlier, and I thought it was so relevant and so good for pastors and leaders right now in 2021. And let's face it, coming out of the pandemic, if we're even coming out of it, uh, everybody needs some encouraging news, including pastors right now. So uh, first of all, I just want to thank you for being on this podcast and having some good news to share. So let's let's kind of jump right in from a macro level for a second. And let's talk a little bit about why you have been studying trends in the church for so long. And really, why do you think these trends are so important to really help leadership teams steer the ship for the, for the local church? Yeah, thanks, John. So um, that's an interesting question. You know, I went back into my own history as I think about it. When I was in college, I was a part of the Baptist Student Union, and the Baptist Student Union had a library. 
And in that library, they had the magazines of all different kinds of denominations and all different kinds of like Christian thinking at the time. So like Christianity Today, it's where I first started reading Christianity Today. Uh, it's where I started reading the Christian Century, which was, you know, kind of targeted at mainline churches. Yep. Sojourners, which was kind of a, a peace activist kind of magazine. The Wittenberg Door, which, you know, was a humor magazine. <laughs> and then they had the magazines of uh, Campus Life and, and many of the other parachurch groups. And, you know, I was just interested. I'm a curious guy and I wanted to know yep. what was going on beyond just my own tribe and my own traditions. Um, got connected to several parachurch groups while on campus. Uh, you know, this was pre-internet. Yeah. This was, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the folks today have it a lot easier. You know, the other thing I was fortunate to have was good mentors from across a theological denominational spectrum uh, who were able to challenge me and to guide me and to show me what was going on in other parts of the kingdom. And then I was the guy at seminary. When I went to seminary, I... Um, I didn't live on campus. And so when I was there during the day, I would go to the library and I would read through the practical books. I would read through all the journals of what was going on. Uh, and so that that was kind of what drove me to kind of look at trends across Christianity. Yeah. Um, why it's important today is that so many pastors kind of get locked into what's going on at their locale and their church. And that's yep. important. And that's the first importance. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But it's also important to know what's going on across the country, across the world, um, to know that, hey, it's not all like where you are now. Right. And that we have to sometimes go to the global picture or the larger picture, the national picture, to get a real good sense and to have hope and to have optimism uh, sometimes right. exactly. uh, to look at these bigger trends. Yeah, no, that's uh, very, very insightful. It's true. And I, and, I, and having worked with you in the past and, and watched your sort of uh, ministry calling, uh, career path, whatever it might be, I have found you to be uh, more right than wrong. And that's a good thing. <laughs> I get lucky. Yeah, exactly. Every once in a while, God uh, kind of smiles on us and gives us some good insight. But you definitely have some really good insight in terms of the local church, the growth in the U.S., uh, but let's talk a little more specifically right now around giving, uh, because this has been a very interesting trend, a trend that probably you and I and our folks at Generis would not have guessed in March of 2020 when the world was falling apart. I think we would have all kind of got this thing wrong, but things have shaped up differently. So let's talk a little bit about what you saw then. So, you know, right, right there in the beginning yep. of the COVID thing and, and then what you're seeing right now. Yeah, so, and, and I will say I was wrong about several things. At the beginning of COVID, March 2020, I predicted that we would have a very rough fall for giving and for church finances, uh -huh. and I was totally wrong. Okay. Um, part of that was because churches pivoted very quickly. Uh, if they weren't doing online or if they had not given online a lot of emphasis, they began to give that emphasis, and that includes online giving and regular recurring uh, giving accounts. I saw a stat yesterday, John, that of those that started giving through online means during the pandemic, something like 84% have done regular recurring gifts. Wow. Now that doesn't necessarily say that they've done big gifts, but they have done regular recurring gifts. And you know what? Regular recurring always beats episodic. Yeah. You know, the, the person with a system, the person who gives systematically, who invests systematically will always uh, contribute more and do more than those who just occasionally, oh, I was thinking about it. I think yep. I'll do it today. Yep. Um, so that's 
one thing. The other thing is that we did get a lift last year, or many churches did. Many churches did take advantage of the uh, uh, PPP money, as it's called, or one of the other COVID Act governmental things that became essentially grants yep. um, because they expected to need it. And they did see drops in the first you know, six weeks or so. Mm-hmm. Turns out when we got to the end of the year, at least among the churches that I work with and most of the churches you work with, John, we realized that you know, we actually did fairly well. That's right. Um, and the other thing that happened <laughs> is a lot of churches were able to cut their expenses during that time to create some margin yep. and some reserve. Um, so that they could uh, deploy those funds uh, later when needed. And the thing is, in many cases, later has not happened yet. They still have uh, pretty good reserves uh, to be used um, for their needs. Uh, the other thing that, that happened last year is we, we expected a longer recession. Yep. And instead, what we got was a very quick recession. Now, they never know these things until you look back after a year. But okay. now the Bureau of Economic Research, which kind of maps these things, said that we did lose a GDP or gross domestic product for about two months. But then it began to come back. And now it's at a level higher than it was uh, pre-pandemic. Wow. It's just grown almost every month uh, since June of 2020. Uh the other bit that happened there is that when we look at people's finances, I've, been, I've described this at other places, what I call the K-shaped recovery. Yep. This was first discussed in August of 2020 by some economists where they said, you know what, this pandemic season has actually led for 20% of Americans to be better off financially than, than pre-pandemic. And, uh, and about 20%, they estimated then, and we know from kind of post-election surveys, 20% of the people said they did you know, less well financially or they suffered financially. Mm-hmm. Um, but what that missed was about the 60% of Americans who did just the same. Mm-hmm. These were people it. who re- could be retirees, um, who get a steady pension or a steady payment from a government source or from uh, retirement savings. Mm-hmm. Uh, so about 80% of Americans did either the same or better financially during the pandemic and are doing so now. Um, the other phenomenon that happened is that people that cut their expenses during most recessions, people do cut expenses. Yep. Um, and any of the fear of recession leads people to cut expenses. What we had during the pandemic, especially during the real teeth of it, like during the lockdown phase, is people weren't commuting, they weren't eating out, they didn't go on vacations, um, they weren't spending that money. Yes. So what that had is we have an income line that stayed either the same for 80% of Americans or got better. Yes. We have an expense line that dropped. What that created was a bunch of margin. Mm-hmm. Um, where all that money went was into first uh, checking and savings accounts. Yep. All uh, through last year, starting in July of 2020. Um, people were putting more and more money into checking and savings accounts. In fact, pre-pandemic, there were about $19 trillion in checkable deposits in the United States. Uh, this includes sec- checking, savings, money market accounts, anything you could write a check on and have a kind of liquid access to. Okay. Today uh, is at the end of uh, July, so August 1st. Uh, there was about $39 trillion 
<laughs> in those same accounts. So more that than double. Nuts. Yeah. More than double the amount, the record amount. Um, we also know there's been, um, according to the retirement account managers like Fidelity and Vanguard, mm-hmm. there's a record amount in retirement accounts now. Wow. And so some of that money got reinvested into retirement accounts, IRAs, other retirement savings. Uh, the real estate associations in America have said there is record uh, home equity and housing vi- values are at a record high. Wow. For anyone who's tried to buy a house um, would know that because it's uh, bad news, right? It's bad news for them. It's good news for those who are staying in their homes. That's right. <laughs> and that there's um, more equity in their uh, accounts than ever before. So all that is means is that through this pandemic, the people have more wealth available than ever before. Hmm. Here in 2021, we have seen some return to people taking vacations. However, there are some things that right now you just can't buy. And so I don't know if you've seen um, a car lot recently, especially a truck lot. If you're trying to buy a pickup truck, you almost can't find one. Yeah, good luck, right? Yeah, um, because of shortages of other materials. And so, so there's money still sitting in accounts. Uh, the good news, too, I, you know, I mentioned the 20% of the people that uh, did not do as well. Because of some policies that we have set up during this um, season, we've seen a reduction in child poverty of about 25%. Wow. Um, some of that is some extra government stimulus. Some of that is people going to work uh, or parents going to work uh, to help lift their children out of poverty. Right now we have, uh, I haven't checked it this month, but we did have, at least in June, a record amount of job openings. Mm-hmm of people seeking uh, people to work. And these weren't all just fast food jobs and gig work jobs. These were real jobs that yep. people can get. And so we have good, for, the, for what we've been through, our employment level is very high mm-hmm. in our country. So all that to say, people are doing okay um, or better. <laughs> yes. Um, people are holding slightly less debt. <laughs> The debt levels really dropped in the throes of the recession. They've risen a little bit. Um, so, so on the one hand, the money is there sitting and waiting mm. to be called upon. And there are, we have at least through this year, 2021, uh, some certain tax rules that are allowing those who've done very well during this time to actually give more That's on right. a tax advantage basis. Yep. Um, and part of that is they can also give out of their IRAs with no penalty. And um, there's all kinds of ways that people can give right now mm. that weren't available to us before. You know, uh, let me just uh, jump in and, and review yeah. a couple of things that I thought were so key there. Uh, money and checkable accounts pre and now let's call it post code for the sake of argument. Yeah. $19 trillion in cash or checkable accounts to $39 trillion, double in that. For the different, uh, different economic uh, details you described, very, so that was very insightful, the fact that there's that much in liquid sitting out there. Obviously, the stock market has done very well in the last yeah. uh, year. Go ahead. Yeah. In fact, let's go back to that one. I, I've neglected to mention that one. Yep. The uh, last I checked, uh, the Dow Jones is up about 27%. 
over the last year, that's since last August. The S&P 500 is up about 32%, I think, in the last yep. year. Mm-hmm. Um, all of them are higher than they were pre-COVID. Yep. So here again, those who have money in, in those types of investments also have about a third more money than they had before yeah. the pandemic. Yeah. And I, I thought it was so insightful back last year, and I will give you credit. I'll give you a shout out. You talked about the K-shape recovery then, and uh, it made sense. And I think the thing that's really kind of stuck out now to us with some hindsight now, here we are sitting in August of 2021, 20% did well, 20% did not do well, and I actually are probably hurting at some level, but 60% stayed the same. And because they stayed the same, that doesn't necessarily mean that they stayed the same financially because if expenses were down, taking less vacations, not going out to eat, those things that we all typically do, they've got more reserve than they've ever had before. So really 80% of folks did either at the bottom, okay, or they actually did pretty well. And that's a, that's a significant thing to talk about. And so let's pivot for a minute and talk a little bit about, you know, what, what do these trends mean to you and I who work with local churches every day? What are you seeing and how should they leverage this information and this trend to try to really expand the vision of what God's doing in their church? Yeah, so I think church leaders have a natural empathy and, and the news that we get is often negative. And so they project that onto their congregations and their communities. Mm -hmm. And they will think, well, we can't have a big generosity initiative now, or we can't cast new vision for new things because people are hurting. And the data I'm trying to bring to folks is that that is probably not the case. Now, I can identify a couple of communities um, that have had natural disasters or have had um, some major fallout uh, due to Uh, some plant closures however it on the whole yeah it's going pretty well yeah that's right um and and like i said people do have this at least money on paper that's in their account that's real money there uh or an investment that is available to be given now Mm -hmm. and so people feel rich we have had a slight drop in the last couple of months in consumer confidence, which is a measure of how confident are they in the future. Yeah. That's been driven a lot by the Delta variant of the virus, which I think in the next 30 to 40 days, we're going to see you know, that subside, or yeah. we're going to get a handle on that a little better, especially as vaccination rates start to go up. Consumer confidence is going to start returning. And it, it had ticked up for almost a solid year mm-hmm. every month. A very gradual thing there. But here's what we do see, John. And I don't know about you and all you Spartan people, but here <laughs> are the Yellow Jacket people. You know, yep. the universities uh, have gotten very aggressive at, at, you know, communicating their next big initiative, their next big plans. That's they, right. they have said, hey, look, here's what the future looks like for us. And here's where we need your help. Mm. Um, and so I think churches have been a little slow off that mark to cast new vision, to engage their people in what the next season could look like. You know, it's interesting, Dave. I was just in a meeting yesterday with a church that you and I know, a great pastor, a multi-site church. And uh, we basically have been having discussions for over a month now about how they came out of 2020 stronger financially than ever. 
more cash uh, because of some pretty savvy stewardship on their part, but also because people continue to be generous. They focused in on the ministry there. And so what we're doing, just as a proof text of what you're talking about, we are planning uh, kind of a quiet campaign between now and the end of the year to raise a certain amount of money uh, that's going to retire a little bit of debt, but it's going to free up cash flow to them to hire probably two mission critical positions. Uh, one is going to be an online campus pastor. They see the, the, the relevancy of doing that, and the other will probably be in the area of discipleship. So what's so interesting is these meetings are so energized. These, <laughs> they're so exciting because we have been talking about tucking and surviving and uh, politics in the church and these things for so long. Now we get to pivot and talk about things that are truly exciting. So uh, just as a way to say, hey, I'm seeing this as well from what you're sharing in the data. I think it's actually working. Yeah, I, I think it's a great time for churches to cast new vision and to raise the resources to meet that need. Amen. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, just kind of moving into the next few months. What would be some, I mean, if you're sitting in front of a local church pastor right now, maybe he's running 500 to 1,000 in attendance. Uh, and who knows what that means right now as people are coming back. But, you know, that could be 40%. It could be, I've got clients right now at 90% or 100% of pre-COVID numbers. Point is, though, is what are you advising them to think through right now based on these trends and based on the fact that Georgia Tech is out there knocking on people's doors, so is Michigan State, so is every other savvy nonprofit in the country right now, because they realize this data is real. They realize it probably before the church does, and they're doing some work to make sure they're going to take advantage of it by year end, because they hurt last year. They want to they want to leverage it this year. So what kind of advice would you give that guy right now? He's sitting, you know, he had uh, 750 people coming pre-COVID. He's, he's kind of inching back there now. He's thinking about the future for the first time in about 18 months. What would you talk to him about? Well, I think that uh, for those that haven't done any uh, building refresh and building remodeling or new construction, this may not be the time for new construction, but this is the time to raise the money for it. Yeah. So I'm advising several churches, let's go ahead, raise the money and just tell folks, yep. here's our sketch, here's our what we're thinking, uh, let's go ahead and raise the money and we're going to wait until the time is right to conduct that. But let's go ahead and put, you know, store, put it in the barn and have it ready so that we can jump on any opportunities there. Sometimes those opportunities are actually on the current site. Sometimes those opportunities might be on a different site or in a rehab or remod kind of situation. So that's one thing. The other thing is we've got to determine what parts of our ministry actually work better in an online environment versus a face-to-face -face environment and what that means for our staffing and what that means for our uh, programmatic. So for example, although there are many kind of administrative things we can certainly do in an online environment, what are some common things that we did over and over and over that we could move to an online expression and do it just as well as the colleges and universities. There's lots to learn from how they have shifted uh, many of their classes to, and I'm not talking just like a courseware or a broadcast, but face-to-face, -face, but mediated through online means and what that means for our, our team. Um, the other kind of big thing is what do we need to keep? What do we need to discard? This has been a season where we've learned that we can do without certain uh, ministries. Yeah. There's, an, there's an old British economist, his name was Parkinson, Northcote Parkinson, who, who developed what he called Parkinson's Law, which basically said, 
Um, once you start adding staff, they create things to do whether we need them or not. It's not quite what <laughs> Parkinson's law is. That's um, a good insight. And, and so a lot of churches realized that they had their, their programs of ministry had gotten to a point where they realized that during this pandemic, you know what? These are the core things we've really got to focus on. These are the core things that really make a difference uh, to make an impact in our local community. And that may look different in different places. And depending on the values of your church and depending on the, the stresses and emphasis that your pastor has. So those can look different, but we need to identify those and we need to double down on those. And some of the other things that we used to do and used to see lots of um, even fruit from, we may need to either pause, hesitate, or say, we're going to set that aside for another three to four years Yeah. until we rebuild or until we get these core things going really strong again. Uh, I think that's all very insightful. You know, it's interesting. I've had two conversations recently with client churches that have both said they reworked their discipleship program during the pandemic simply because they started saying, we're not meeting face to face. What does it mean to be the church? They're asking very good fundamental questions. And out of that, they started reworking some very core things about their church, about what kind of followers are we producing? You know, yeah. is the church the building? Is the church the people kind of deal. So that's good. And the other thing I, th I loved what you brought up is, and I like the way you said it, you said you talked about online versus face-to-face -face, and it really comes down to levels of engagement, which is better because both, it's a both and question, right? It really is. And we've seen that proven out that it's a both and question. And so if you're thinking a little bit about uh, online for a second, in terms of moving forward, what, what kind of trend are you seeing there of churches that are sort of carrying something fresh or new or innovative out of, you know, 2020 into 2021 when it comes to the online ministry? So well, I'll just give one example here that um, has struck me is most of the churches pre-pandemic that had like new members or new partners or new door holders, whatever you want to call someone who's really going to take the next step into engagement with your church, they would have either a live meeting of a couple hours or a series of kind of live gatherings where they're given the vision of the church, the values, the theology, they're explaining how decisions are made, et cetera. But that was a live gathered face-to-face -face kind of thing, which it was good. It's effective. I mean, it worked for them. Now churches moving those kinds of experiences to online environments and then following up with everybody that attends. Hmm. on an individual basis. This is the move that I've called platform to pastoral to personal. Hmm. And so what we used to rely on our platforms to do, our Sunday gatherings, uh, then move to pastoral, which is more uh, people in circles and let's, let's convene people. And so I had a church that I was working with that um, they used to have like 35 people come to every one of their um, kind of introductory sessions, uh -huh. like monthly. Yeah. To learn more and that kind of thing. Well, they started doing those monthly online and they only had about 16 people on a regular basis, you know, about half. However, okay. those half stuck. Whereas oh. before they'd have 35 and they'd end up with 16. Interesting. Okay. And, um, and, but they did say, you know, we, we found out that, you know, we've always kind of left it and on the, on the former pre pandemic, we had 35 people. Hey, this is what, if you want more information, 
you know, reach out to us. Instead, what they did was they moved it to the online environment. The 16 people that came, they knew they were really interested. And then they pursued instead of waiting for them to respond. They followed up with each individually. They said, hey, let's set a time we can either meet in person at a coffee shop or we can do an online uh, discussion with yep. you and your spouse uh, to, to ask. So you can ask questions. So you can ask deep questions you may be embarrassed to ask in the group. <laughs> um, and and they found that, hey, what's more, uh, what's helping us to engage people at a deeper level quicker? And that was just one example of that type of experience. That's a great example. And it's interesting they've got the data on that, that that actually was a better uh, kind of sticky point for them to really see these folks take the next step. I love that example. Well, the but other that, part there, just to go what quickly, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know we're about out of time, is um, in a multi-site church that does that, they can do that uh, across all campuses mm -hmm. in a digital environment and then leave it to the campus to follow up. Oh, yeah. Okay, instead of having to do all eight campuses doing you know, that same live session. Yep. And so and they made sure that the, what they were communicating went, you know, to everybody at all campuses, a little more consistency there, too. No, that's a really good insight. I love that. Well, Dave, this has been really encouraging. And I, I know leaders that are listening right now have got to be at least a little bit more encouraged by the trends you're seeing and how that can apply to the local church. But there's one question I asked to all my guests, and they, they, see, they tell me this is their favorite question. And that is if we could take uh, a Dave Travis magic wand and we could wave it across the country of, of local churches, what would you wish for every local church moving forward? So, you know, I'm big, especially, in, you know, looking at some news reports in the last month, I, you know, integrity, transparency, robust governance strength is going to be so critical mm. for the next season of ministry. Um, the strength that will come from the team of staff, the team of, of elders or board members, I think is very critical to lead into the next season. Um, and not just looking for the man on the white horse. Peter Drucker used to say, in times of chaos, people start looking for the man on the white horse to solve all their problems. And I think that's a challenge in our culture is we keep looking to a man, a person to solve the issue. And I think I would hope that we would follow, in my view, a more New Testament example of the strength coming from the team of leaders that help give leadership to the church. It's been a tough season. You mentioned some of the things, politics, the pandemic issues, um, issues around persons of color and how we respond to kind of some of those social things. And there's a very much a stress on even leadership teams on how do we address these issues? How do we speak firmly with graciousness, but also allow for differences without wrecking the unity of the church? And so that's what I would hope for for the next season. Always insightful, Dave Travis. So good to have you in the Church Plus podcast. Thanks for joining me today, man, for my friend. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Church Plus podcast today. I know there are literally hundreds of podcasts you can listen to, so I'm very grateful you've tuned in today. We would always appreciate your support to subscribe to the podcast, share this podcast or tell a friend about it, and rate and review the podcast. Until next time, this is John Bennett with the Church Plus podcast.